I didn't realize how like creepy and ghostly I look. Oh, that's okay. Uh, hide myself for you. That'll fix it. I mean, it won't make it brighter, but I don't have to look at it. <laughs> okay, cool. Cool, 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 cool. Right. Uh, what's the uh, status with the Twitter World Cup? Patrick World. Oh, I haven't. I haven't actually checked on it today. No, let's have a look. Uh-huh. What's your biggest uh, or most difficult choice been so far? I've got to say, I did tweet about this one, but the uh, amazing Morris versus Feet of Clay was really difficult because. Um, oh yeah, yeah, that's your favourite, isn't it? Yeah, I have to be really, yeah, objectively, Feet of Clay is one of the best ones, but Morris is very much my favourite. Oh, there's a round I haven't voted on yet. <laughs> right, let's have a look. Let's have a look. We can vote. We can vote live on air. This is fun. Okay, I so live on air on... like two days before we yeah. publish on air. This won't actually go out until Monday, so all of this will be settled. Mm-hmm. So yeah, the, th- the thread for today. It, no, the thread for yesterday I haven't voted on, so the 9th. I've got, yeah, the ninth. Okay, cool. So group A, match five. Diggers versus Interesting Times. Interesting Times. Yeah. I like the Bromeliad trilogy, but it's not Discworld. Um, I'm more hyped to reread the Bromeliad trilogy because I am uh, reading a book about Terry Pratchett right now, and I'm not going to say any more about that because spoilers, sweetie, for our podcast. Oh, this one's easy. Jingo, Jingo versus, versus Dodger. Dodger. Jingo. Jingo, baby. Ooh, more, more versus, versus making money. Hmm. Mm. Make it money. I'm gonna go with more. Ooh, that's nearly fifty-fifty. Yeah, making money is not as good as going postal. Truckers... It's not, but I do like some of the stuff they did for the economics. So. Yeah, that's fair. Truckers versus unseen academicals. I'm gonna ah, go truckers. Me too. Actually, I was not that big of a fan of unseen academicals. I like. I feel it, like, but frankly, I just hate football that much. It even puts a pull on Discworld. <laughs> Yeah, that's fair. I'm not really a football person. Ooh, Monstrous versus Regiment versus Long Mars is easy for me. Mm-hmm. Monstrous um, Regiment. I can't not yeah. vote Monstrous Regiment. It's just too good of a book. Monstrous um, Regiment is one of my absolute favourites, but the Long Mars is probably my favourite out of the Long Earth series. It's very epic. And I mean it that in an epic. epic sense, not in an epic man sense. Dark Side of the Sun versus Long War. Uh, because I'm an awful person, I've not read The Dark Side of the Sun, so Long War it is. I have, but The Long War wins out there. Uh, Eric, uh, Eric versus Ooh. Dragons. I actually haven't read Dragons of Crumbling yeah. Castle and Other Tales yet, but I also don't... Re- actually, no, I am going to go with Eric. I feel like I'm going to find more in it that I like when I read it this time yeah, around. I'm going to pick Eric because I've read that one, but <laughs> I don't like it. Small Gods... Small gods. Or wings, small gods. Obviously. Okay. Yeah, okay. I think everyone made that choice since it's 97% to 3%. <laughs> so, uh, obviously, Jingo's well-beating Dodger. Monstrous Regiment's well-beating Long Mars. So the only really down to the... The only really contentious ones in that. Uh, Morton making money, mm-hmm. a fairly 50-50 there. Yeah. Truckers has got 30% against Unseen Academicals. And More than I thought. Yeah. Long War. Yes, yes. Other Discworld adjacent stuff. Um, we now are in possession of 
Hagstones slash Adderstones slash whatever else we call them. And I'm being genuinely literal here. I don't mean figuratively. We have and this time I mean it. <laughs> we have the best listeners. Our listeners oh, are the coolest. I know, I know. So considering it's Lily, like such a small pool to draw from, every interaction we've had has been so nice. Yes. Which speaking of, if you could all tell your friends about this so it's a slightly wider pool, we'd appreciate it. And I'm sure your <laughs> friends would too. <laughs> Sorry. Well, we'll upgrade from paddling pool to like one of those canvas atrocities, you know? Yeah, we're not looking for like Olympic swimming pool here. We're just looking at... Who's got the energy? In this economy? I have no energy. (laughs) I do have a mug with unicorns on because I was given this as a gift today and uh, the theme continues of people giving me (laughs) unicorn-related gifts and I'm quite perplexed by it. Anyway, um, listeners, good ones. Lily... Thank, Thank you for you. our hagstones, Lily. That is ridiculously thoughtful and prompt is possibly the wrong word. But like within days of releasing an episode saying, oh, I don't have any hagstones, suddenly we have them. Yeah, it's amazing. And now we have luck and can see fairies. Yeah, I mean, we, we, we shouldn't. We shouldn't look through to peek at the fairies. I hope you haven't been doing that. No, God, no. <laughs> Again, it's very who's got the energy? Who's got the energy? <laughs> Uh, also prancing around being energetic and sprightly literally sprightly (laughs) (laughs) disgruntled owl i forgot that like sprites were a type of fairy for a second and i was like what do you mean they taste of lemon and lime and have bubbles (laughs) maybe i mean if they were gonna taste of anything i bet they would taste of sprite i'm vegetarian so you're gonna have to try this out Right, sorry, I'll go and lick a fairy. <laughs> I'll add it to the, the to-do list. Maybe this is why people buy me unicorn mugs. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, also, we'll say, shout oh, out, I was just going to shout out uh, our listener, Harry, who sent us the most adorable email. I can't uh, call him adorable, he's 12, he's too old for adorable. Okay, he sent us the most brilliant email. <laughs> Because apparently in an early episode, we were wondering if we had any younger listeners and he wanted to let us know that he is, in fact, a very big Discworld fan and a fan of the podcast and he is 12. And, and we're very that, sorry for all the bad words. Not sorry enough that be. we're going to stop. But. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but he's only on episode 13 right now. So uh, shout out to Harry for when you get here. Hurry up. But that genuinely brought me so much joy. So, yeah, we have the best listeners in the world. We love you. Thank you. Yes. Yes, we do. Also, just all the lovely like comments and people joining in when we're doing headcanons and things. The internet is like a horrible, rubbish, scary place most of the time. And the little corners of internet we have based around the podcast always cheer me up and bring me joy. Yeah, just in case there's anyone who's like not part of that overlap, on Wednesdays when we remember we do like a weekly Twitter thread of things Discworld characters would do in X situation and it's quite fun so come join us and give us suggestions and such yes please suggest ideas for the headcanon threads because we're running out of them (laughs) join it follow us on Twitter at Make You Fretpod it's too early for the outro for unseen oh okay oh yeah we haven't done the episode (laughs) all right well do you want to make a podcast then yeah let's make a podcast I wasn't going to say this because I was about to shout out a 12-year-old, but the mug does say, back the fuck up, sprinkle tits. Today is not the day. I will shank you with my horn. Well, that's pretty fucking amazing. It's out from Cara. Yeah. yeah. (laughs) 
she also gave me real Vermont maple syrup and a lily plant that she actually got me for my birthday, but I forgot to pick up from her house. Um, oh, maple syrup. Oh, I want pancakes. Real oh, I need maple some American syrup. pancake mix. I keep forgetting to ask Americans when I talk to them, and now I don't. Why don't you just? Why don't you just make? Why do you need the mix? Because I really like that. It's like, why do you need to make X from scratch? Sometimes you just want the instant one. Yeah, all right, fine. I, I really well, like, I can make pancakes. I just really like the, like the American one that has the shitty powdered egg we're not allowed to buy in this country. Yeah, no, okay. That There's is some fair. chemical in there that's clearly illegal over here. And I like it a lot. Yeah, no, no I'll, I'll accept that. That's allowable. Um, what was I going to say? Gone, yeah no i am now considering uh making pancakes for dinner instead of making dinner <laughs> do it oh blueberries blueberry muffin i want i want an american breakfast right this minute at uh, 4 30 to... in the afternoon in england well, should we have a should we have a break <laughs> and each go and quickly make some american breakfast <laughs> i don't have the ingredients i've been putting off going to the shops for three days now and i've just been able to put it off for a further day because jack got some broad beans from the farm Excellent. Which means Ooh. we have green things to go with the beige things I have in the freezer. Excellent. I uh, I have actually got all the ingredients for blueberry muffins in the house. You just have blueberries just... lying around here. Yeah. Well, I've nice. got. I keep a bag in the freezer, and I've got some fresh ones in the fridge because they go in my uh, breakfast. Can you get frozen blueberries oats. from Iceland? I don't know. I don't shop in Iceland. Got them. <laughs> <laughs> I'll let you come to your own realisation about that tone. <laughs> I know it's just because you're tired, but that sounded funny. <laughs> I'm disparaging of everything. Do I sound all right, by the way? I didn't yeah, really you sound good. Sound just out. annoyed. Yeah, okay. <laughs> I will try not to spend the whole podcast sounding like I hate my life. <laughs> all anyway, right, intro. Breakfast tangent aside. <laughs> mm, breakfast tangent. Brangent. Brandon, who eats bran flakes? Like there are people that still buy bran flakes, and I think there's something wrong with them. I just want to talk. I know. I need. um, If I'm going to eat cereal, which is not a lot, I I eat cinnamon grams or something equally horrendously sugary. I actually still have a bit of a soft spot for Special K for really toxic reasons of doing the Special K diet when I was in. That's also just sugar in a bowl. Yeah. No, I know. But, I know it says it's healthy, but it's literally just sugar. Yeah. I like um, country crisp for the same kind of reason. Oh, healthy. Yep. Actually just sugar, but yeah. Yeah, it's like when I buy wanky granola, I am literally still just buying a super sugary cereal, but I can <laughs> yeah. pretend I'm a grown-up. Yeah. Anyway, fuck. <laughs> Podcast. I promise I will be more focused. I don't promise that. Right. Hello and welcome to the Truth of Fuck's Sake. I managed to derail you in ages. It was the eyebrows. I have very expressive eyebrows now that there's a mask covering my face so often. Yeah, my eye makeup has improved a lot. <laughs> my lipstick is tragically underused. Right. Hello and welcome to the Trishel Minky Fret, a podcast in which we are reading and recapping every book from Terry Pratchett's Discworld series, one at a time, in chronological order. I believe you're looking I'm... away from the screen. <laughs> Fuck you, I nearly managed to get through it. <laughs> I'm addressing the microphone, that's where the listeners live. Okay, okay. In the microphone. 
And see, now I can't look at the microphone either because it says blue and I'm thinking of your eyebrows. Oh. <laughs> oh, I'm trying to get an intro out. Hang on. Right, you got as far as I'm. <laughs> I know, I'm going to go from the beginning again. Oh, God, sorry. <laughs> I need to flow, Francine. I need to flow, otherwise I forget to spoiler warning. Okay. <laughs> Hello and welcome to the True Show. <laughs> I'm not doing anything. No, now it's me. <laughs> this is what we call in the industry corpsing. I wonder where that comes from. Okay, not doing that now. Um, it'll be because like corpses giggling when they're meant to be dead. Oh yeah, no. Oh well, that was a fun tangent. Hello and welcome to the True Shall Make Key Fret, a podcast in which we are reading and recapping every book from Terry Pratchett's Discworld series one at a time in chronological order. I'm Joanna Higgin Young, and I'm Francine Carroll. And this is part two of our discussion of gods, 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 gods. Seize him. And you were right. I don't think that was in this part. Oh, fuck. What did I just drop? Oh, sorry. It's just my other headphones. <coughs> yes. Seize him, indeed. As you Seize quite him. rightly say. Quick note on spoilers. This is a spoiler light podcast. Obviously, heavy spoilers for the book. We're on guards, guards. Sorry. Guards, guards. Thank you. Uh, but we will avoid spoiling any major future events in the Discworld series and we are saving absolutely any and all discussion of the final Discworld novel, The Shepherd's Crown, until we get there so you, dear listener, can come on the journey with us. And this is actually a bit harder than you might imagine considering our topic brings us into L space and so all time is one, every place is here. And it's a real metaphysical effort to make sure we don't keep spoilers in. And I, I hope you appreciate that, listeners. Can we not do metaphysics? Because I am like that kind of tired where I will definitely have an existential crisis. Oh shit, that's like half my talking point. But fine, yeah, yeah. <laughs> cool. I just, okay, we get the existential crisis board wipe out and assume we're wiping it to zero by yeah. the end of the episode. <laughs> Do we have anything to follow up on? Uh, yeah. You read Gormengast. I feel like, yes, we've got... Oh, I've written it down. Yes, follow up. Um, I think last week, I can't even remember, I probably cut this out because I had nothing to say on it, but I was wondering whether um, there was a Discworld timeline anywhere because I was like, how long ago were all these kings about? And was this like a law... Yeah, no, we did talk about that last week. Yeah. Because we assumed there might have been some sort of renaissance and wizards did it. Yeah. The rule of the patricians started in 1689 and the events of Guards Guards were in 1985. Because they've kind of uh, matched it up to around 12 years and referenced all the different books and the companions. And That's very cool. People are committed. Because we will, in a later book, I want to say the next watch type book which is men at arms find out what happened to uh sorry i'm just trying to find what year what happened to the last king i think it is men at arms yeah yeah anyway i mention it only because there's a cool timeline that i'm going to link to beat does it contain any spoilers yes multiple so i'll put a big spoiler warning next to it good thinking good i know what i'm talking about what a joy (laughs) Don't get used to it. Yeah, no, that's fair. Uh, what happened last time in Guards, Guards, Francine? Previously on Guards, Guards, 
dragons, drunks, and dread portals. Oh my. The elucidated brethren talk themselves into treason, vines groans in the gutter, and a strapping young lad enters into the watch voluntarily. Yes, really. Lance Corporal Cabaret is too good at his job, a fact soon overshadowed by the aforementioned hooded weirdos summoning a dragon, whose admittedly well-time-flaming frightens the blazes out of the night watch. Enter the dragon breeder, an incensed ape and a patrician who isn't sure about this whole dragon theory until the bloody flying alligator is openly burning the city. Well, parts of it. Mainly a vegetable shop. But still. It's quite a confusing timeline, this entire book, isn't it? It is somewhat confusing because... Quite major events are skipped over very quickly. It's a cool technique Terry Pratchett does. It reminds me a bit of the end of Weird Sisters, where he doesn't show an actual major event. He talks about it and allows Mm. the reader to pick up the pieces, especially because it's like a procedural thriller quite thing. Yeah. It just, it it plays with suspense in quite a nice way. Mm, Yeah. I think that the event that stuck out to me in this part as that was Bertinari's deposition. Yeah. Um, that is very, very swept over to the point where you could almost miss it and it yeah. becomes part of the next section. Yeah. Um, uh, speaking of, summary of this section before we launch into discussion? Yes, in this section of guards, guards. Guards, guards, sorry. <laughs> we begin with the elucidated brethren celebrating their victory over oppressive vegetable sellers everywhere. They discuss the next stage of their plan, making a king. Luckily, the Supreme Grandmaster has a handy sword and a stupid cousin. They learn the tragic news that Brother Dunnikin has been eaten by a crocodile. It's a shame he didn't have an anti-crocodile amulet. Uh, Vimes checks out the hordes at the palace and Dibbler offers to sell him some genuine anti-dragon cream. Barbarians and heroes have arrived to slay the dragon, but many are disappointed in Vetinari's paltry offered reward of $50,000, well below the average rate, not even a daughter's hand in marriage offered. What is the world coming to? Vetinari calls a meeting of the city's civic leaders to discuss the dragon problem. He invites Vimes to apprehend the dragon. Inquiries are being pursued. Vimes goes to the university library to continue his investigations and learns that the missing book would have known its thief. As night comes, the citizens of Ankhmore Bork await the arrival of the dragon, shooting at a few unfortunate clowns in their excitement. The dragon eventually unfolds itself from the Tower of Art and swoops in, flaming the watchhouse. Swooping is bad. Vimes wakes up in Sybil's bed in no small amount of agony. She brings him an artery-clanging fry-up. Remember that. Lady Sybil donates the watch a new headquarters in Pseudopolis Yard. An angry anti-dragon mob appears on Lady Sybil's doorstep. Vimes sees them off with the aid of a loaded swamp dragon after a quick whip round for the Sunshine Sanctuary. Sybil also donates good boy Bindle Featherstone to the watch, now known as Errol, and Vimes wonders if he could set a dragon to catch a dragon. Carrot writes another letter home. As Colin frets about a future of command, the librarian is sworn in as a special constable, and Vimes and Sybil attend their willing watchman. The Brotherhood starts to get cold feet over the flaming dragon. Colin recovers from a slip of the tongue and the resulting non-simian violence, and Vimes takes Errol to sniff out a dragon. In the shades, the big flamey dragon is irked by an itchy mind and stares Vimes down. The rightful heir to the throne of Ankh-Morpork rides into the city to nobly slay the dragon. The newly monarchistic Ankh-Morporkians celebrate the dragon slaying and Vimes muses on a flame-free fight. The dragon... Good effort. Uh, The dragon finds a path back to the world after its untimely death. 
Lady Sybil arrives home from a celebratory ball and the rank head out for a drink. Vimes visits the scene of the heroic dragon slaughter. Sybil, a vision in damp tulle and leather gauntlets, arrives in a screaming rush and a coach as a lightning visits the university and a noble dragon rears its ugly head. We learn that the dragon is a thermivore and that Vimes did not, in fact, receive a classical education. Errol faces off against the bloody big dragon as Vimes rescues Sybil. Death and a big dragon visit the elucidated brethren, minus the Supreme Grandmaster and Brother Fingers. The watch collector shocked Brother Fingers and his pizzas. They realise he works at the university and that he's in fact responsible for the theft of how to summon dragons. Vime sees another mysterious member of the Brotherhood, but the sneaky Supreme Grandmaster runs away. At the palace, Carrot attempts to arrest the palace guard. The librarian travels through Wellspace to a week ago. Vimes visits once and informs him that the dragon has returned, much to everyone's surprise. Consciousness swiftly abandons poor overworked Vimes. We learn that Nobbs performs horrific actions on his night off. Folk dancing. In Elspace, the librarian reads the soon-to-be-stolen summoning tome. Errol gets poorly. Vimes attends the coronation, gets a bad seat. The rest of the watch gets somewhere high. Dragon, Vimes gets fired, and Errol eats everything. So at this point, am I correct in saying that Vimes has visited once, twice? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I hate you. I know, I know. In the most loving way possible. I'm a fucking delight. Um... Very good summary. Very action-packed middle third there. It's quite a large Lots middle third, isn't it? Well, it's 100 um, pages exactly. Oh, yes, that's quite right. It seems like more happens here than anywhere else, even though the last third actually is a tad longer. Well, this is the uh, action. Yes. It's rising action and <laughs> falling action. I've got to stop trying to apply the pyramid to things, especially because I keep assuming it's fair mats and it's not, it's free tags. <laughs> As long as you give it room to flare, we should be okay. Maybe not in the blanket fort. Uh, side note, a vision in tool and leather gauntlets, I imagine, is your most desired description of yourself ever. Yeah, yeah. And so I'll try and get you some gauntlets, as I'm sure you've got enough tool to wrap a I've got more, dragon. I've got more than enough tool. <laughs> I had an organiser of my spare fabric the other day, and I got a lot of fucking fabric. Oh, good. Now I just need to learn to sew with it. Uh, yeah, quick helicopter slash loincloth watch. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm calling dragons helicopters for mm-hmm. the rest of this book, so there are sure, plenty sure. of them. Did you come up with any better justification of that than they're in the air? <laughs> no, it's pretty much the fact that they're in the air. Cool, cool. Okay, cool. I mean, I feel like helicopters would breathe fire if they could. Yes. Like if I was a helicopter, I'd want to breathe fire. Sure. If you were a helicopter. <laughs> <laughs> All right. You sound a little bit Ralph Wiggum, but okay. (laughs) (laughs) Do you have any idea how difficult it is to say helicopter? Because hepticopter is how I would say it as a young child, and that is still how we say it in my family. How has that not come up in 26 episodes of fucking helicopter watch? Hepticopter watch is now what it's called. I'm very tired. I have a red pen which means any <laughs> corrections I make are official. There we go. Well, they're not appearing on my navy blue copy of the show plan, so... Well, that's because I haven't worked out how to sync physical paper yet, but you wait. What the fuck, Francine? <laughs> this is very uh, Stone Age stuff. Anyway, uh, quotes, 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 quotes. Are you sure there weren't any loincloths? There's an awful lot of adventurers. I, yeah, there probably were some loincloths around the barbarians. I don't so know if go any were implied. 
yeah, implied loincloths. Cool. Which, to me, continues to justify the bit. Sure. At this point, I uh, should I be bothered to argue? Especially now Excellent. it's called Heptacopter Watch. <laughs> <laughs> okay, we're not actually keeping that, though. Well, we'll see. Oh, we are. Quotes. We? <laughs> Shall I go first? Uh, yes. Yours is first. Okay. This is uh, from when Vimes is waking up in Lady Sybil's bed after the watch house gets flamed. Traditionally, upon waking from blissfully uneventful insensibility, you ask, where am I? It's probably part of the racial consciousness or something. Vimes said it. Tradition allows a second, a choice of second lines. A key point in the selection process is an audit to see that the body has all the bits it remembers having yesterday. Vimes checked. Then comes the tantalising bit. Now that the snowball of consciousness is starting to roll, is it going to find that it's waking up inside a body lying in a gutter with something multiple? The noun doesn't matter after an adjective like multiple. Nothing good ever follows multiple. I'm trying or, to think of one that might. Oh, actually, I did, but watershed and all that. Yep. I, I was thinking exactly the same thing. Or is it going to be a case of crisp sheets, a soothing hand, and a business-like figure in white pulling open the curtains on a new day? Why is not both, over? am I right? <laughs> is it all over with nothing worse to look forward to now than weak tea, nourishing gruels, short strengthening walks in the garden, and possibly a brief platonic love affair with a ministering angel? Or was this all just a moment's blackout and some looming bastard is now about to get down to real business with the thick end of a pickaxe helve? Are there, the consciousness wants to know, going to be grapes? Well, I think we've all had those mornings. I have absolutely 100% had those mornings and I'm not going to tell the story of the worst one now I know we have younger listeners. Um, hmm, hmm. My quote? Yes, give me your quote because mine was a bit long. Mine is a bit as well, but it's uh, more Vimes. It's more of a concept slash quote. I just like Sam Vimes writing down his sleuthing process as he sleuths. Yes. Yes. I sleuth, you sleuth, they sleuth. He, she, it sleuths. (laughs) Sleuths. I tim. Heavy dragon, but yet it can fly right well. I tim. The fire be main hot, yet issueth from an living thing. I tim. The swamp dragons be right poor things, yet this monstrous form waxeth full mightily. Item, from whence it cometh, none know, nor whither it goes, nor where it bideth between times. Item, why for did it burneth so neatly? And carries on in that kind of uh, tone. I quite... I- I like that it's all written down, not just with the old-fashioned spelling, but with language that you'd never hear Vimes speak aloud, which makes yeah. you think perhaps there's some forgotten, half-forgotten school days at work here. Yeah, I do quite like the fact that all the writing is in oldish English. It's not proper old English. No, uh, it's uh, old English in the same way that his Latin is Latin. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, the sort of mo- the cod old English... Uh, compared to how they actually speak really makes me giggle and also i just like vimes writing to think things through because yeah this sort of born in the gutter type character you wouldn't necessarily think has a big grip on reading and writing but vimes is very very clever he is very clever um obviously we learn about like school days existing for vimes eventually yes i was trying to think what i could get away with saying and i think we'll just leave it there but um 
do you do this as well when you're trying to puzzle something out have to write down each step of your thinking process so you don't lose track of it absolutely I have to like I really like visual aids when I'm working things through especially with uh writing when I'm working on like a play or like obviously now I'm working on novel type things so do you Not like keeping track of where your characters are kind of thing or yeah kind of keeping track of where my characters are just thinking like how would a character cope with a problem it tends to be less lists and more like big sprawl- sprawling an entire page thing I don't mind like maps. letting I don't like saying mind maps because I don't mean it. <laughs> wasn't there like a f- what thing we used to refer to them as and then that became offensive and we had to start calling them brain showers or something it was brainstorm Oh yeah, no, and I don't think it was offensive. I think it was just suggested a level of violence that uh, hippy dippy types weren't comfortable with. Um, yeah, and then so, yeah, yeah, it was so a brain I, shower, which just sounds well wet, stupid. Yes, also wet stupid. and stupid. <laughs> but yeah, I I don't like letting other people see the contents of my notebooks for this exact reason because my wet method of working things out with a pen and paper shows an insight into how my brain works that is very scary and chaotic. Yeah. No one needs to know about that. When I come across an old notebook sometimes, like there seems to be a kind of year or so cycle when my ciphers change and I'm not aware of it happening, but if I look at a notebook that I finished over a year ago it makes absolutely zero fucking sense just like sentence fragments that mean nothing lists that start and list completely unrelated things as far as I can tell and then trail off I was as long as I know roughly when it was written I can usually translate notes and writing and stuff like I've occasionally small amounts of my note-taking have ended up on our like our podcast twitter and instagram pages and things where i've taken photos of my notes as i've gone along but the absolute ridiculous chaos of them is uh something i should never want to expose our listeners to which is why it takes me five hours to take uh the book full of post-its and the adjoining notes and turn them into an episode plan because believe it or not we do plan this yeah amazing isn't it i think they can believe it because we rustle it quite close to the microphone yeah you think we're doing it by accident but really we're just proving that we did try (laughs) At no point have we ever actually stuck to these plans. <laughs> anyway. Characters. Characters. I am going to start with one I have talked about on the podcast before. We've mm. met proto versions of, but I think mm. this is the first time we meet the final polished product. Right. And that is Cut My Own Throat Dibbler. CMOT. This is CMOT Dibbler. Uh, page 111 in my copy obviously I know these uh, page numbers will vary for different people who is uh, just to read his introduction Vimes looked into the grinning cadaverous face of cut me own throat Dibbler purveyor of absolutely anything that could be sold hurriedly from an open suitcase in a busy street and was guaranteed to have fallen off the back of an ox cart (laughs) I love this character he's the Discworld's prime entrepreneur he crops up. He's a lovely bit of the world building where he crops up in this book that's fully set in Ankh-Morpork and he's as, he's as much like a fixture of the city as the university is. Yeah. And I just really like that he turns up and that he's selling genuine anti-dragon cream yes. and then selling commemorative dragons later on in the book. It, 
he's one of those characters like almost like only fools and horses where if they put the kind of cleverness and effort that they put into scams into an actual enterprise they would be millionaires by now but that's just not appealing and they'll have much more fun failing with small scale badness over and over again and it's much more fun for us of course Selling his genuine pig sausages. <laughs> in a I want the named meat. Ooh, uh, that's the gourmet you'll be after. <laughs> Honestly. Yes, he is extra. We, I guess we kind of met him in the last section, but I love him, so I'm going to talk about him. Good boy, Bindle Featherston. Slash Errol. Slash Errol. His naming yeah. is absolutely marvellous, which is... Uh, he he's brought to the watch watch house uh, and it's described as good boy bindle featherston bore up stoically under the weight of the name and sniffed a table leg <laughs> he looks more like my brother errol said nobby playing the cheeky lovable cheeky chirpy lovable city sparrow card for all it was worth <laughs> <laughs> but i like that vimes looked at the creature and knew that it was now irrevocably an errol is this an oscar reference oscar what the oscars Somebody said about the statue that looks like my uncle Oscar. I mean, they're called Academy Awards, technically, aren't they? Oh, I actually didn't know that. Weirdly, for a film media and TV nerd, I very much ignore award stuff. Yeah, that makes sense. They are annoying and I like boring. Tony Awards opening numbers, specifically Neil Patrick Harris's 2013 Tony Awards opening number, make which is still it bigger. T- Make Let's it make bigger. it bigger. <laughs> yeah, that is that is still my go-to in my head <laughs> when I'm sad. Yeah, I'm not surprised. Oh, it's great. We'll link to that. Yeah, enjoy, listeners. And the, occasionally oh, there are Oscars things I like. Um, Olivia Coleman's Oscar acceptance speech for Best Actress is one of my favourite things I've ever watched. Partly because every British person watching it going is, that's our Sophie, that's our Sophie from Peep Show and she's got an Oscar. Before we move on from Errol, I just want to acknowledge that Carrot bought him a little toy and then Vimes hoped that Carrot hadn't noticed the fluffy ball tucked into the back of the box because it had been quite expensive. It's adorable. the The fact that they both buy Errol little toys you know one of the bits I put down in little bits actually I'll put now because it's uh Vimes reassuring Errol when he's all like Errol's noticed the invisible dragon and Vimes doesn't think it's dire uh oh yeah where is he he's page 169 there it is Errol started to tremble it's just the rain said Vimes go on finish your bottle nice bottle a thin, worried, keening noise broke from the dragon's mouth. I'll show you, said Vimes, and threw a sausage up in there. Which just reminds me of the fucking process I have to go through when Dia starts barking at the sky. That's like, oh no, look, Dia, it's fine, it's fine. Look, there's nothing there. Pick her up, look, show her around because she's short. She can't really see any, over anything, He's which I think is the source puppy. of a lot of the problem. So I have to pick her up and go, look, everything's okay. And she does little whines. <sighs> anyway, so. Basically, my dog is Errol. I wouldn't be that surprised if she started flying around backwards. I definitely wouldn't be surprised. (laughs) But she would be in the look on her face. It'd be great. We haven't tweeted a picture of your puppy in too long, so we will tweet. All right, cool. I'll send you a good one. She's such a a lovely, stupid little fucker. I love her so much. I miss her. Right. um, 
Gaskin, we fi- we learn what happened to Gaskin, whose funeral vines had just come oh, from yeah. at the beginning of the book. This is a bit depressing, but I did want to talk about it. And this is this idea of the watch of learn not to run too quickly because you don't actually want to catch the thief. But Gaspin, Gaskin forgot and did actually try and chase the thief. And obviously it didn't end well for him because the book opens with his funeral. And it says so much about what the watch is at the beginning of the book. And kind of why it's lost pride in it. Because Vines obviously does have a lot of pride and you can tell he wants to sort of do good and actually catch criminals. Yeah, but he's learned that that is a life-ending move. Yeah. Yeah. And he just wants to survive more than he wants to catch a criminal. Um, Just. And it's quite interesting considering the changes they all go through and how much sort of more they care about the policing by the end of the book. And it's uh carrot has that beautiful line where they're talking about Gaspin where he just says it didn't ought to be like that. So yeah. On to a more entertaining note, we also meet the chief of the beggars guild. Briefly. This is near the end of this section. You couldn't by any chance spare about three hundred thousand for a twelve course civic banquet, could you? And I like the idea is you get higher ranking beggars, they have to ask for more and more to be lent to them. I want to check back in with characters that we have already met as well. Mm-hmm. And I want to start with Lady Sybil Deirdre Olga Varna fucking Ramkin mm-hmm. to give her her absolutely I think full you name. added in a middle name there. I did not make Olga up Olga Varna. Varna. doesn't exist. <laughs> <laughs> it is. We, get to, we do learn her middle name. I'm going to start with the, the description of her room mm. that Vimes wakes up in. He talks about the fact that it's shabby, which, considering she's meant to be very wealthy, doesn't mm. make a lot of sense. Um, amateurish watercolours of dragons. It's all in all, it had the look about it of a room that has, has only ever occupied by one person and has been absentmindedly moulded around them over the years, like a suit of clothes with a ceiling. Yeah. But it also describes it as the room of a woman who uh, been getting on with her life while all that so- soppy romance had been happening to someone else and was jolly grateful she had her health. Yes. And I think that's such a sort of sweet thing about Sybil's character almost yes I don't know if we ever find out what she really thought about kind of the years of not doing that bit that was expected of her I think the thing is Sybil is so we do get bits of Sybil's in a in a monologue more in later books um but I think what you get on the surface with her genuinely is a lot of what her innerness is I think I don't think she's someone who's really seething or angry underneath. And I do think that is actually jolly pleased that she's got her health is probably something very true of Sybil. I didn't mean angry so much as sad or... I I don't think she would be maybe somewhat wistful. And she's obviously, you know, she's a bit of a flirt. She starts flirting with Vines as soon as she meets him, talking about how dashing captains are. But I think genuinely the whole thing about she's jolly pleased to have her health is probably how she thinks but because she's been way raised to be very pleased with what she's got and at the end yeah. of the day what she has is quite a lot yeah, because yeah. you know mansion and fortune and all that all that uh yeah. on to the thing i said i'd keep checking back in with her though that the descriptions of her size mm. i do enjoy the description of her drawing herself up haughtily as like watching continental drift in reverse as various subcontinents and islands pull themselves together to form one massive angry proto woman (laughs) because that one's not so much just about her size but that's like personality yeah 
that is someone minuscule, but with the right amount of indignant fury could pull mm. off that appearance. Absolutely. But when Vimes rescues her from the dragon later and sort of grabs her and swings her onto his shoulder and then collapses because he can't carry her, mm. feels like a moment where her size is very much played for comedy in almost kind of a mean way. It's just things I want to point out because I like looking at how the treatment of it changes as the books go on. Yeah, I get it. It's just not really mentioned much as the books go on, is it? Yeah. I mean, there's, you know, it says the Remkins hadn't bred for beauty, they bred for solidity and big bones. And it's yeah. like, well, why is one mutually exclusive of the other? I'd say the, the focus had been that, on that, not the other. Yeah. But I would say the implication is that she's not beautiful, she's big. And, there, you know, going with the fact that there are lots of other jokes that she's wealthy and she's got a great personality, but she's yeah. not pretty. I'll talk about this more. There's another fat woman we will meet in a later book. And again, I think it's interesting how the fatness is dealt with. Yeah. Yeah. Possibly because I've become more aware of this in media in general since I've realise that fatness isn't inherently bad which is Mm. a fun thing we all have to unlearn as we grow up oh yes thank you sophie hagen for helping me quite a lot with that sophie hagen is a treasure i was about to say a national treasure but she's not our national treasure (laughs) have you read happy fat Uh, i have not Um, it's a very good book i recommend it my favorite book on the topic is lindy west's shrill have you read that one no, I will keep meaning because it had a like TV series adaptation recently, didn't it? Oh, yeah, I didn't know that. Which I haven't seen yet. Anyway, yeah. So anyway. I just want to kind of call out like I don't really like the fact that her size gets used for a comedy moment there because mm-hmm. it feels a bit. There would be other ways to put comedy into that moment that wouldn't be using her size as an easy punchline. Yeah, but at the same time, I'm still very much having a fat heroine in a book. And I do do like the description of her pulling herself together as reverse continental drift because I like the sheer force of her (laughs) indignance. I love that whole scene. Um, I also really love about her, uh, the way she uses her privilege to put other people at ease. Mm -hmm. She's very aware that she is privileged and in a position of power and that people feel like they need to defer to her. Yeah. And the way she deals with that is, you know, when they go and inspect the watch, she's bringing Vimes to Pseudopolis Yard and they sort of all line up for her. Yeah. She's very fine body of men and she, and she's not doing putting them at ease the way Tepic was in the last book. She seems to be taking like a genuine interest and it's something that makes them comfortable. You know, she talks about... She's uh, good at it. She's very good at it. We can all sleep safer in our beds knowing these brave men are watching over us. Um, walking sedately along the rank like a treasure galley and running ahead of a mild breeze. <laughs> And even when she meets the librarian who's been sworn, who's in plain clothes and been sworn in as special eight services and uh, maintaining the kind of complex salute you can only achieve with a four foot arm, she sort of just does a, well, how long have you been an eight, my man? And says, ook, well done. But I think it's interesting if you compare her character to Vetinari, who very much is in a similar position of power and privilege and uses that to not, very much not to put people at ease, but to keep yeah. them on their toes. Yeah. And how much of that is, uh, for a quick purple post-it moment, how much of that is a gender thing? Uh, Sybil, yeah. as a powerful and privileged woman, uses that power and privilege to put people at ease around her, whereas a man with that same power and privilege very much uses it to make people uncomfortable. Yeah. And it's not just a gender thing, it's what their characters are. Yeah. 
um, how they need to serve the plot. So Vimes, I want to check back in with Vimes uh, and his anger. Because mm-hmm. I did say that was like a through line I wanted to keep looking at. And it kind of follows on the bit you're talking about where uh, he's looking after Errol and he's very sweet about him. Yeah. And he's sort of furious at the around the Swamp Dragons, the fact that it was a race of whittles born to die wide. Yeah. Who lived on their nerves. And the fact that people would hunt them for some sort of glory. And you can tell he's kind of really thinking about the watch there. Yeah. Because they're this sort of whittle of an institution. And he gets angry at the city. And it was what we talked where we were talking last week about how he almost acts betrayed when the people of the city don't act the way he wants him to. Yeah, he leaves himself vulnerable by personifying the city as a whole. Yeah, and he sort of takes the populace into account and he ends up later on in the book when uh, everyone's suddenly becoming monarchists. He's furious. <laughs> and I, li- I like his sort of righteous anti-monarchy heart. Yeah, even though he hadn't thought of himself as anti-monarchy until this point, suddenly it's in his bones. Yeah, and he sort of starts shouting, Thrall, you thieving bugger throat, you were flogging cuddly dragon dolls yesterday when they're all very excited that the dragon... And his absolute (laughs) fury and frustration at people being fucking stupid is great. It is. One last thing on Vimes and Sybil, when they're facing off against the dragon... uh, Let me just find the page so professional and Sybil's amazed by how ridiculously pretty and impressive it is and Vimes is not yeah the dynamic between them really reminded me of something and then eventually I realized it was uh it comes up a lot in like screwball comedies type things but reminded me of my favorite one which is kind of the archaic one which is have you seen the film bringing up baby no if not, you need to. It's a 1938 movie. It's Catherine Hepburn and Cary Grant. And Catherine Hepburn is like a wacky heiress with a pet leopard. <laughs> and Cary Grant is playing this very straight man who's like a mild-mannered paleontologist trying to get a grant mm-hmm. and for his museum. And the dynamic between Vimes and Sybil just very much reminded me of Sybil as Catherine Hepburn and bringing up babies. <laughs> saying, don't worry, it's just a leopard. It's not going to eat your face. <laughs> Okay, cool. Well, that saying, seems like something Jack leopard. will actually watch with me. So I'll try. Oh, it's great. Genuinely. It's one of my favourite films. Well, Catherine Hepburn's amazing. Yes, and Carrot. We mm. spent some time with Carrot. We love Carrot. We do. I really enjoy his complete lack of an imagination because he's a dwarf and they're not raised to have imaginations, which means he doesn't get nervous. Yes. And his method of performing an arrest when Vimes orders him to arrest the palace guard. Mm. And Carrot's method is to pop round the corner, grab a couple of axes, and then come running, screaming round the corner, making a siren noise. Which I think I that's assume... he said charge. Yes. And arrest, didn't he? Uh, charge these men. Yes. Say. I'm assuming the dida 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 is meant to be like a police siren noise. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Something caught in a trap at the bottom of a two tone echo canyon. <laughs> And uh, I like the fact that he proper terrifies them and Vimes sort of sits and watch and rolls himself a cigarette. It's a really lovely image. I have things to say about that, but we'll wait until we're in the more serious part of the podcast. But yeah, so that's the characters, unless you had anything else. Well, obviously, Anne Vetinari gets deposed. That's kind of a big thing that we don't see. It's a big thing and it's half sentence. So yeah, no, I have a lot on Vetinari next week, but... uh... I'll save it. I feel like the entirety of next week's episode is just talking about that one really good two pages, those two really good pages of the book. 
Right. Pseudopolis Yard is our first location. Uh, yeah, obviously so the, a reference Scotland Yard. Yes, the, the watch are given their new headquarters of Pseudopolis Yard, but I like the name is literally fake police. Oh, yeah. Pseudopolice. <laughs> anyway, Harger's House of Ribs. I just wanted to point it out because we've been there before. Death used to work there. Uh, mm-hmm. They've sponsored our podcast in the past, which is very nice of them. We haven't had a note from our sponsors in a while. No, we well, you know, you're meant to be selling the advertising space. So. Yeah, that would be why we haven't had anything. I've not done my job. <laughs> well, the line through the multidimensional uh, <coughs> telegraph has been difficult recently. And that's our excuse. Oh, yep. we're about to be interrupted. I just heard a door. I've got okay. 30 seconds, so tell me about Hargis. <laughs> I am appalled that Sham Hager is uh, getting rid of the fat and scraping the uh, the coffee. Is this like the he? equivalent of people getting mad about cast iron seasoning done wrong? Oh, Hello God, dear. don't. Hello, dear. Oh, come here. Come here, puppy. Puppy the person who is opening your office door so i'm assuming your puppy just opened the office door by herself oh yes absolutely in fact she's, she's grown thumbs 12 inches tall is <laughs> Minor detail. We measure her in thumbs as well. She's definitely a swamp dragon. She smells like yeah. one too. She just got back from the farm. Hammering yeah, it your dog's a swamp sure. dragon. Little bits we liked. Hang on. Yeah, I don't really have anything else on Hamhagger's House of Ribs. Uh, yeah, little bits we liked. Uh, there was a reference here that I had to double check, mm. which is probably something I should have known, but. Vimes was wondering about the curious incident of the orangutan in the nighttime. Well, I know there's a book called The Curious Incident of the Dog in the Nighttime. Well, that was the thing. I know, and that book came out way after this, and I yeah. should have realised it is actually it's a Sherlock Holmes reference. Oh, is it? Yeah, yeah. Um, I stupidly didn't note down which book, but uh, when the Scotland Yard detective says, "Is there any point to which you would wish to draw my attention?" and Holmes says, "To the curious incident of the dog in the nighttime." The dog did nothing in the nighttime. Uh, no, it wasn't. Okay. As the dog did nothing in the night time, that was the curious incident. I see. So, yeah, so that was uh, what that was a reference to. And I looked that up. Footnotes. I like the way... Cause, because some people don't read footnotes. Those people mm. are sociopaths. Yeah, oh, what the say. fuck? Who doesn't read footnotes? What kind of bullshit policy is that? Like, oh, well, I'm going to sit like, here and read a fantasy book that like people centers sort of around nonsense, them. but I'm not going to read the footnotes. That's a waste people of time. People sort of skim over them or don't pay attention to them. Well, they're idiots then, aren't they? I read a little bit. I don't care if you're listening to this. If you're listening to this and you don't read footnotes, you've got an even more skewed sense of time management. So <laughs> fucking read them. I read an interesting thing about footnotes, especially as they used in Terry Pratchett, about how they used a bit like comedians use pauses and they make you mm. read things in a certain way and uh, take in a joke yeah, in a certain comic way. Comic timing, yeah, definitely. Yeah, it's and like, I'm um, not going to say where I read that because special surprise for our listeners, hopefully. Ooh. But there's a footnote on page 140 about how the phrase set a thief to catch a thief had replaced an older 
and more Porkian proverb, which was set a deep hole with spring-loaded size tripwires, whirling knife blades driven by water power, broken glass and scorpions to catch a thief. Yeah. Uh, so that was the original saying. The and I I like, yeah, that's a footnote and it's just a silly little line. But then a few pages later, Vimes talks about using Errol to catch a dragon mm-hmm. and colon responds with oh you mean set a deep hole with spring-loaded sides trip wires whirling knife blades driven by water power broken glass and scorpions to catch a thief captain <laughs> it's and clever it's, it's, because not only is it like a great callback it's also like colon being old-fashioned and yeah it would be colon who uses the old-fashioned saying yeah <laughs> and yeah it brought me joy many scorpions oh what was that I'm going to say pen, it's probably fine. I like the regular references to scorpion pits, to be honest. I feel like there aren't enough scorpions in literature. Do you feel like it's a good thing that Lady Sybil gets the same treatment as all the other women, e.g. not a very good dress? (laughs) I'm glad she gets equal treatment to the others and isn't dressed (laughs) matronly, especially because as she's depicted on the cover, it is in the part of the book from the next section where she's the virgin to be sacrificed sorry spoilers for the next section sorry my voice sounds weird because I'm on the floor trying to find my pen there it is of course you're on the floor why wouldn't you be on the floor Francine that's where you should record our podcast from (laughs) I mean maybe it's probably good for my back or something if I start like lying horizontally on the floor to record the podcast like I'm a middle-aged man with a back problem that would be quite fun Maybe yeah, I'd have we... that kind of confidence then. The confidence of a middle-aged, middle-aged floor man. Yeah. <laughs> a middle-aged floor lying on the man. <laughs> Hi, I'm sleep deprived. <laughs> Hi, I'm Francine. <laughs> Dead jokes. Oh, there were some there were implied finger guns in that joke. Uh we get a callback to the last book. And this is what I mean uh, when I talked about it last week, that Pratchett's starting to like world build and play in the world. And also that he took a lot of the themes from Pyramids and brought them through into this, especially about monarchy and things. But mm-hmm. call back to the hippos of Ankh-Morpork, um, who are the noble, as of yesterday, the noble heritage of Ankh-Morpork. So got hippos on the flags, hippos on the bunting. Fucking bunting. Why is it that when suddenly we're all meant to have some sort of national pride or something, bunting comes out? bunting. Isn't it terrible? I don't know if they do it in other countries, but as far as I can tell, it's a peculiarly English conceit that somehow these triangles of poorly crayon paper equal festivity. Yeah. And it's very specific, especially to national events, things like the Olympics and street parties and coronations. Mm. But it for, ties in with the, the blitz spirit bollocks, doesn't it? Sorry. For our international listeners, bunting is a piece of string with brightly coloured triangles on it, often with fucking Union Jacks when the cu- everyone's being particularly jingoistic. Actually, do you know, I had bunting at my wedding, didn't I? So I should probably... Oh, you had so much bunting. That was hilarious watching that get strung up. I did not help. No, you did not. Nor did I. Becky is a fucking treasure. Um, but it was Becky white is... bunting. It didn't have the flag on it, so it's fine. No, and it all looked very pretty. But yeah, uh, fucking... Fabric bunting is the traditional one. But uh, when you have a hastily thrown together celebration like this coronation, I imagine it's all the kind of terrible like paper stuff government... we see. 
yeah or like when our government suddenly decided ve day was a big thing that we should all celebrate in lockdown for calendar bonkers. manufacturers poor calendar manufacturers <laughs> anyway so yes anyway. but i like the callback to the hippos of ankh-morpork i'm pleased to see them again yes and i hope that they do in fact nobly run away whenever the city is threatened so like the idea of a noble running hippo oh yes speaking I... as a noble running hippo <laughs> a vision in tulle and leather gauntlets yep uh... that's how i jog oh my um ex is a terrible terrible person but i did enjoy the fact that he used to go for jogs and steel toe cap books steel toe capped boots with a uh fag hanging out of his mouth that did make me laugh yeah he was an old man he was an old man pizza fire what is that me? That is mine. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I'm very cryptic with my notes at the moment. I'm sorry. I don't mean to. I just couldn't think of a more sensible way to put this. So um, page 183, if it matters, uh, after the dragon has flamed the um, uh, elucidated brethren's headquarters, Vimes finds Brother Fingers left standing outside the burning wreckage uh, with a pile of pizzas. And yeah. it, it just reminded me of like that now famous scene in Community when Troy oh, returns from getting pizzas and everything's on fire. So that's what I'm imagining, <laughs> except like in a robe. <laughs> it's a very oh, gifable moment. Even... Yeah, that is, I think, probably the most used Community gif. Yeah. Uh, I'll... <laughs> it's the darkest also... timeline one for anyone who's struggling to remember. <laughs> Which is like the greatest episode of Community. It's so good. I fucking loved it because like right at the end, it turns out Jeff's the problem, surprising nobody. Uh, anyway, that's all I had to say on that. That that was that was just a something that made me chuckle. <laughs> so let's talk about hero tropes in our talking points section. Yeah, I said this would be an in ongoing our one. Definitely is... exists the show plan. <laughs> oh, don't make me have another existential crisis, Francine. I'm tired. It's here, it's in front me we promise we're not just making this up as we go along yeah this is i said we'd keep checking back in on this because like the two this book is a combination parody of hero stories and police procedural Um, and i realized what i was talking about with what it was parodying was basically conan the barbarian so we're going Mm. back to what we talked about with color of magic and the barbarian tropes in that especially this scene where all the barbarians turn up at the palace and then they're appalled that uh he hasn't got a daughter. Vesnari doesn't have a daughter to offer their hand in va- marriage for killing the dragon. Yeah. Um, they're talking about, you know, medical expenses, buying and maintaining your own gear, wear and tear on virgins, which is specialities, unicorns. <laughs> it really made me giggle. And then further down that page, this is on 114, there's a, they're talking about monsters they've dealt with. One of them saying, he killed this monster in a lake. And then its mum came down and complained. <laughs> Which is a reference to one of my absolute favourite hero stories, which is Beowulf. I can't believe we've not talked about Beowulf yet, have we? Have I think we? this is the first like yeah. direct Beowulf reference we've had. Yeah, gotta love Beowulf. Beowulf is amazing, uh, but enjoying Beowulf makes me wish I could really properly learn old, old English. <sighs> That's a... I'm never like, actually going to Time management issue right there, Joe. Yeah, no, I'm not actually going to. I do recommend the Seamus Heaney translation mm. for those who have been thinking about reading it. The dragon as well. That's a fun reference 
thing. Yeah, this this hero trip section is really just all the fun references trying to point them out in one go. Yeah, the whole I mean, dragon... is the dragon even a reference at this point, or is it just well, a... The dragon sleeping on a hoard of gold, It's and the way they're talking about how it's cunning and it can talk, hmm. uh, it's very particularly smorgy. Is it? Smog. Was Smog the first dragon to be that Smog? Smog. I don't. I know always if read it, it Smog, fa- but then my audio. Lots of people say Smog. Yeah. I'm going to keep saying Smog. Yeah. Because oh, now I'm thinking of Smogger's board. <laughs> Sorry, food. <laughs> anyway, this fucking podcast, like, oh, not just this episode, is ju- is just us reminding ourselves that we're hungry over and over <laughs> again with like nerd references interspersed. <laughs> How do we have any listeners? <laughs> Thank you so much to our listeners. Oh, there's my low blood sugar <laughs> self <laughs> There it is. <laughs> oh, beautiful. I assume it is specifically a Lord of the Rings reference, the, the way it sleeps on gold and what have you, but, but I'm sure references Hobbit, to dragons sleeping on gold yeah. existed. Uh, Tolkien so, in general. Yes, yes. Um, yeah, I don't, I, don't know like, was, I don't know if that was a kind of dragon that was around before Hobbit. If it was, I don't know it. So. Yeah, I don't like directly referencing The Hobbit because then I remember that those films exist and I have to... Uh, we don't talk about those films. They don't Most exist. of the films we talk about not talking about all the time. There is no war in Barsing Say. We've Sorry, always be been really... at war with East Asia. No. Fuck, what's it called? A merry. Oh, I need to reread some more well. Um... Actually, I, I, don't know. I really I re- don't right now. <laughs> I was referencing Avatar The Last Airbender. So. Oh, good. Okay. I'm glad we're on the same page. <laughs> the king has invited you to Lake Logo. Monarchist. Oh, wait, no, I was still talking about the references. There's one oh, other I'm reference sorry, I yeah. wanted to point out, which is a cop movie reference, and that is when Vimes interrupts the angry mob by coming out with a dragon under his yeah, arm. Yeah, that would interrupt. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Interrupting monarchists. This is your fan fiction. <laughs> this isn't fan fiction. What, Vimes distracts the crowd by coming out? Isn't this what you were talking about? Okay. <laughs> oh, I have, no. The next episode is where I have the 20-minute uh, presentation on the sexual intention between sexual tension between Vimes and Veterinary. That's right. This great. Is My plug should be right by then. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Vimes exits the building and appears in Assume front of the crowd. Um... <laughs> <laughs> so Vimes, co- <laughs> Vimes comes out with the dragon under his arm. <laughs> Now that's a hell of a way to come out. Whereas back in my way, we used to uh, tie an onion to our belt. That was the fashion in these days. At the time. (laughs) (sighs) Okay, can I do this bit now? I don't know. Can you? Vimes comes. Vimes appears with a dragon under his arm when he's trying to defuse the angry mob, and he. Brings out he he says this is Lord Mountjoy Quickbang Winter Fourth the Fourth the hottest dragon in the city it could burn your head clean off and as the rioters watch he says now I know what you're thinking you're wondering after all this excitement has it got enough flame left and you know I ain't so sure myself what you've got to ask yourself is am I feeling lucky and Wait, this is, is to 
to uh, Dirty Harry. Ah, yes. And I think it is the first one. I didn't go deep enough into Google. Because I haven't seen that, it made me think of Brooklyn Nine-Nine. Which is also referencing Clint Eastwood. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. He's got such an amazing face. I really want to rewatch all the old Clint Eastwood films. I have seen them, but not for a very long time. Um, But this is often misquoted as, do you feel lucky, punk? Because it's mixed up with, go ahead, punk, make my day, which is Uh... from a different uh, Clint Eastwood film. But that's what the Fabricate Diem pvnc ah. what motto is making fun of is make my day punk nice but yeah i i enjoyed that dirty harry thing because it was like very directly translating yeah. that scene from the film into this book yeah and it's like rare. this but dragon yeah it's rare that pratchett does like the very very direct there's a lot of those extent. in this one but yeah there, um, there's a lot in generally. this one there's tons in moving pictures, obviously, because yeah. that's the whole point of the and book, moving did. pictures. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so, yes, I enjoyed that. Right. Suddenly, monarchists. <laughs> Interrupting monarchists. Name of your indie band? <laughs> monarchists. Tell me about them. It, and I mentioned this earlier when Vimes gets really furious, is that everyone suddenly becomes a monarchist now that it mm. looks like there's going to be a king because he's killed a dragon. Yeah. And there's sort of saying, oh, he's going to fix everything. And Vimes is saying, right, well, what wrongs, he's going to, what wrongs is he going to write? And Throat tries to sort of say taxes in a, I know I don't really pay them way. Yeah. And people start saying, well, the gutter on my house leaks something dreadful and the landlord won't do anything about it. The king will fix that. Premature boldness. Kings can cure that. Uh, they can't answer back. They don't carry money. That's how you can always tell us a king, which is a fun thing because it follows thematically from pyramids. Yes. Uh, they're talking about like real kings don't ever have any money on them oh yeah <laughs> but it's really fun then when you get to later on when uh colon suddenly gets very into the rights of man um we're all born equal and then when uh nobby calls him frederick he's like well no it's sergeant colon to you yeah <laughs> it's like what colon means is i am very equal <laughs> I like that line very much. <laughs> I greatly enjoy that. And I like that Colon sort of, because he's just such a natural contrarian. Yes. That if it's very popular suddenly for everyone to be a monarchist, he will su- suddenly discover his relationship to the rights of man. And I think the fact he's a contrarian is what makes him, a, I'm not going to say good, a passable police officer. Hmm. Yes, he's an entertaining police officer. See, I like, but I like the idea of everyone in the city slowly becoming a monarchist for shits and giggles because they think it might fix things. Did he find like any parallels with real life? As in, when well, we I have kind of, royal weddings and things, suddenly everyone gives a shit. Well, I was kind of interested as to what, like, so this is 1989. Uh-huh. I had a look at uh, what. The, what, what state the British monarchy was in obviously I know who was queen because it's been the same forever who's queen? who's queen? who's queen? oh no is her nose as pretty as mine? sorry okay we're not doing black adequates I was reading about Diana earlier unrelated to this but that's well that was what I pressing. found when I was looking at sort of what of the British monarchy was in the press in 1989 yeah because um, I was reading about her because I'd found in the old school cool subreddit a picture of her fuck you dress basically that she wore on the day that charles publicly admitted his infidelity yeah the black one the black one yeah i used to have a dress of it like that and i 
um I have a dress a bit like that so Charles and Diana were still together publicly Mm -hmm. Diana was very much in the public eye visiting people suffering from AIDS the Hillsborough disaster took place in 1989 and she was visiting uh victims of the Hillsborough disaster so she Mm. was very much in the public eye and the monarchy was very popular in the late 80s as a result especially as the leadership of the country wasn't very popular you're talking 1989 is when Margaret Thatcher hit 10 years as prime minister and also when the conservative party really started falling out of favor Um, um, when sorry when the leading political party stops being particularly popular people do turn to monarchy same way like recently with covid and the lockdown um people have lost a lot of faith in the Tory government for how they've handled it but become very monarchistic and very big on the day and Queen Elizabeth's birthday and yeah that's a bit far flyover for uh, Dame fuck what's her name Virilyn Virilyn thank you it's uh yeah I mean uh, it's very sad that Virilyn has passed away but you know she had a pretty good fucking run yeah yeah it is sad she passed away but if we weren't in this odd collaging of pretend Britishness at the moment, we wouldn't have made such a thing of it. Um, Not to the point of a fucking Spitfire flyover. Exactly. No. Yeah. It's, it's all very odd. Um, so, yeah, so, sorry. Okay. So the round world equivalent around the time this is being written, which yes. obviously it yes. wasn't, it wasn't being written in 1989. It was published in 1989 was very much of Britain becoming more monarchistic. Talk to me about L space. Well, first of all, how about you tell me the three rules that we must remember before we delve into L space? Let me find the three rules. If I was professional, I would have already turned to this page, but no one's paying me to do this, so fuck it. You can listen to the planning pages. The three rules of it's the part library. of the experience. We've got to sell it as a feature, not a bug. Foley. Ooh. <laughs> the three rules of the librarians of time and space are. One, silence. Two, books must be returned no later than the last date shown. And three, do not interfere with the nature of causality. <laughs> it's like a backwards version of the thing we keep um, bringing up, the beautiful, noble description, and then like custard or something. That's like mundane, mundane, metaphysical. This is the whole rule of three thing in comedy. Is you, it's the, yeah. that third beat that makes it the joke. And I did genuinely snort laugh at that footnote. Yeah. Um, I found in the Discworld Companion um, a declaration that new readers of the Unseen University Library have to make, which I thought you would enjoy. It doesn't appear in any of the other books, so I thought this would be a nice place to put it because it combines fun library bullshit with your favourite thing, which is fast-talking terms and conditions. Mm -hmm. So I thought I'd read that to you. Declaration to be read aloud when asked. I, speak your name, hereby undertake not to remove without permission from the library or to mark, deface or injure in any way any volume, document or other object belonging to it or use inappropriate force in fighting back any such volumes as may from time to time attack me, not to bring into the library or kindle therein any fire or flame, be it magical or otherwise, and not to smoke or expectorate or explode or levitate above two foot in the library. To refrain, to the best of my abilities, from spontaneously combusting in the library. And I promise to obey all rules of the library and any which may from time to time be added by the librarian whose judgment on all matters relating to the operation of the library is final and, if necessary, terminal. 
I promise to read and inwardly digest any documents that are drawn to my attention, attesting to the difference between those creatures commonly referred to as monkeys and the higher apes, accepting further that being allowed to do so is a concession on the part of the librarian that holding my head two inches from the page facilitates reading and that repeatedly banging it on the table is a valuable aid to memory. <laughs> That's brilliant. That, brings well, that was very you. <laughs> That is very me. But um, L-space, seriously, folks, here's a <laughs> pretend physics lesson. Um, where's my actual notes? Sorry, fuck me. Getting lightheaded. Uh, so libraries were clearly pretty sacred spaces to Pratchett. Um, yeah. They come up all the time in the books and in his interviews and essays. He, he just makes it clear he spends a lot of time in libraries. He thinks they're incredibly important, um, which I do as well, actually, although it's been a long time since I was a regular user of one. Did, did you use one much as a kid, libraries, like the town I library used the school? school libraries voraciously because yeah. I, I just got through books too quickly for my parents to keep up with buying them for me. Mm. And so our school, my primary school, had this reading system. You had to go through all these levels of books and you'd like be given one a week and you'd sign one out and you'd work your way up to level 14, normally by the time you're in year four. Yeah. Certain kids, when advanced enough, were allowed to skip. The, and once you got past level 14, you could go straight to taking a library book home once a week. Certain kids would get skipped through. And in year two, I got skipped ahead to library books. E. And so from that, it was pretty much game over. I would use them a lot. And like, you know, I'm a big lover of libraries. To the point I did a whole fundraising tour for local libraries yeah. last year. We we taught a play around. It's a play called Talking to the Library by the amazing Jackie Carrera, who I happened to work, at, work with a bit. And Thanks it's... To it. Uh, yep. Yeah, something about it. It's set in a library. So we taught it around local libraries, performing it just in the spaces no fancy set or lighting and uh, all the money we raised touring it went to those libraries because Suffolk is the only county that hasn't had any library closures because the libraries run as a charity ah. yeah I like yeah, our library. love libraries yes did you accidentally uh, strain to Wellspace at all while you were doing this tour easily done came close to it Good I got to see the inner workings of some of the libraries. I got to see oh. backstage in the libraries. That oh. was always very cool. Ooh, tell me something about that. Ipswich Library has a lot of space that you don't see. I and mean, Ipswich Library is massive anyway. And uh-huh. you get to see lots of space. Also, uh, technically Norfolk, not Suffolk, but Thetford Library, we got to use as our green room, the Thomas Paine room, which brought me great joy because I have a copy of Common Sense by Thomas Paine which is uh, a known text for a lot of reason, but including because of the uh, song from Hamilton where Angelica hey. Schuyler announces, I've been reading Com- Sense by Thomas Paine, so men say that I'm intense or I'm insane. They do say that about you. Yeah. I also Not want nation. to point out that I got this far into the episode without referencing Hamilton, and you should be really proud of me. Two hours, four minutes, 32 seconds. I am very proud of you. I love Hamilton. I still haven't watched it. Ah, oh, you need to watch it. I know, I know, I know. But it's one of those things, right? So, you know, certain things you just really experience differently depending on who you're watching it with. Yeah, like, Jack would hate it. Yeah, Jack wouldn't hate it, but he definitely wouldn't be into it. It's like way too fast talking for Dad without putting the volume up too far for me to enjoy it. So I don't know. Either I'm going to watch it on my own, which seems almost odd or wait until i can like watch it with you or someone yeah when we're allowed in each other's houses we will watch it yeah. together okay i'll allow that i'll do that then yeah so i don't want to yeah i really want to enjoy it and i know i will under the right circumstances but yeah um yeah. 
Anyway, we were talking about L space and well, libraries yeah, and how like great libraries are. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, so the L space as a concept is uh, knowledge equals power. We know that. Power equals energy. We know that. Energy equals matter. Yeah, so far, so good. Matter equals mass and mass distorts space. And therefore, lots of knowledge in one place distorts space. And therefore, libraries are basically, uh, how did Pratchett put it, genteel black holes. Uh, <laughs> I'm just finding a very specific quote from something that goes very well with that. Oh, do please, yeah. But yeah, sorry. Oh, you found it quickly. Yeah. Uh, just an alternative to knowledge is power, etc. is that time is money, money is power, power is pizza, pizza is knowledge. <laughs> What's that from? That is April Ludgate in Parks and Recreation. Ah, very good, very good. We're getting all our favourite sitcoms in today. What have we got? Brooklyn Nine-Nine, Community, Parks and Rec. Right. Sorry, I've lost myself again. Yeah, oh, so- sorry. It's no, my no, fault for interrupting me. you. I was looking at the wrong page. So L space obviously just means library space, but I looked it up just in case. And it is a topological term. And I found this on Ooh. Wikipedia. So if anyone knows what it means, fill your boots. But it's fucking sorting to me. An L space is a hereditarily Lindelof space, which is not hereditarily separable. A Suslin line would be an L space. Mathematicians, feel free to email Joanna about that. Um, yeah, please explain this to me. <laughs> In very short sentences. I'm mostly distracted by the fact you just said it was a Lindelof space. And does that mean that Damon Lindelof created L space as well as the TV series Lost? I don't know. See, now we're in two areas. I know nothing about media and mathematics. (laughs) Excellent. Um, Quick, find some etymology. Oh, God. Um, But yeah, so Pratchett seems to do physics in like the same way he does Latin. So like it's apparently clumsy, but obviously he has to have a decent bit of background knowledge to make it funny. Like you have to know the rules to break them um, or it just, you know, it wouldn't be funny. So I quite like that he managed to do the false equivalent stuff all the way through because I just like that. I like that kind of silly tangent joke. Um, I had a good um, analogy for this, specifically in reference to co- comedy, which is you have to know the shape of the bucket to accurately fill it with something funny. Ah, yes. I like that. That's a good analogy. Yeah. Um, yeah. I should probably say like what L space actually is. Uh, <laughs> from the su- science of this world, puts it more comprehensively. It says, it is via L space that all books are, collect- are connected uh, quoting the ones before them, influencing the ones that come after. But there is no time in L space, nor, strictly speaking, any space. However, it's infinitely large, connects all libraries everywhere and every when. It is never further than the other side of the bookshelf, yet only the most senior and respected librarians know the way in. And so I think that's made it perfectly clear. Uh, <laughs> basically, in this context, the librarian is able to go in with a ball of string, find his way to last week and read the books that got nicked and considers making sure the book can't get nicked but it decides not to interfere with the nature of causality and why why is that because things go boom trousers of time yeah that's reference to the trousers of time it is our first reference to the trousers of time i'm sorry i did miss that that's all right i also like the word bifurcate I don't get yes, to use bif- that often enough. Bifurcate, bifurcate doesn't come up in conversation. Bifurcate sounds better. I think it's bifurcate, but I like yeah, bifurcate. But bifurcate. Bifurcate sounds like an old word for bovril or something, doesn't it? 
I like that it also uh, uses L space to justify why uh, those little rambly, pokey secondhand bookshops are particularly unearthly. And yeah. I feel like they're almost a cousin to the uh, traveling shops that always have exactly Definitely, what the hero needs. Yeah, yeah what the, the traveling shops travel through the multiverse, whereas the, the little secondhand bookshops are static but all connected through the multiverse. Yes, that could be channels. wandered into yeah. from any dimension. Yeah. Which, if you ever go to Wales and the town of Hay on Wye, which is the home of the very famous Hay Festival, but is also a very small town with sort of 20 or 30 tiny little pokey secondhand <laughs> bookshops, the entire town feels somewhat like time is bending in on itself. I hope they're all right. I feel like if there's one that's going to be safe after this, it's probably there because so much tourism comes from those bookshops and the festival. Yeah, it's weird, isn't it? Like we talked about this briefly last week, but one of the things I particularly miss is the kind of casual fun aspect of book shopping where you could pick up a book and put it down and wander backwards and forwards. And all of that is just not part of shopping anymore at the moment, certainly. No. Um, you can't pick stuff up and put it back you can't wander backwards and forwards take your time all of that is now incredibly rude so yeah but one day bollocks to reality well I've, like i said i'd like to have no part of that uh anyway that's all i'd say about elspeth sorry i've depressed myself just in time for the depressing talking point um ah. <laughs> yeah let's talk about bad policing yeah see i did say last week that i'd touch on this and I reading this was either badly or very well timed, depending on how you frame it, because all this came up in the wake of the Black Lives Matter movement of 2020. It's very difficult to talk about policing with nuance, especially a book like this, where the police yeah. are very much the underdogs. It is. And that's the thing. So in this context, and it makes sense in this context, and I can see exactly why it's done and how it's done. We are made to root for bad policing and bad policing in its specific harmful way. So I'm talking about page 189 specifically, which you quoted um, with Carrot charging them, which is funny. It's a funny scene. But the joke... If you actually think about it in the context of... And it's not even the charge bit. The joke about... Um, uh, what are they accused of, sir? Said Carrot, holding up one limp body in either hand, uh, assaulting an officer and resisting arrest. Oh, but they didn't resist while attempting to resist arrest. It's exactly the kind of bullshit the police use to now. shoot people. Yeah. Um, yeah. So it was jarring to read this scene in particular. Um, it's easier to separate the Night Watch than it might have been just because it's such a tiny ragtag organisation at this point in yeah, the story. Yeah, I mean, story. it's four people. Yeah. Um, but that particular scene did make me go, see, I see why well, that's funny, because, and I, I see why it's used to make Vimes likeable, because it's the old cutting through red tape maverick cop trope, which is... Also, if you look appealing. at what, what it's parodying, it's parodying, you know, Clint Eastwood and the Dirty yeah. Harry movies, and that's the, the thing, it's the maverick cutting through red cape. Dirty yeah. cop with a heart of gold. Exactly. And the thing is, although the Vimes elbow becomes 
uh, a running joke. I think in following books, when it, he's not so heavily referencing movies, I don't think this is the kind of thing that Bimes would do. Certainly not the kind of thing that Carrot would do. Um, but I, don't, I think I think Bimes would be books. very against saying something like this. But this is the later books are a lot more nuanced yeah. about what role the Watch has within this society. The, I think it's less nuanced here because they're an underdog organization; yeah. they have no political power. Yeah. So it's very hard to compare it to modern day policing in the same way because they do not have the power that modern day police have. Uh, what do you reckon? It's hard to talk about. I find it really difficult in this book. A part, part of me, because one one part of me wants to just go full cognitive dissonance and go... Exactly, yeah. This is a thing I really love, so I don't really want to think about it with the hard modern context. Uh, to briefly circle back to Hamilton, you know, as it's come out in on Disney Plus in 2020, the discourse around how it's actually very problematic has been renewed from five years ago when it was first at its height of popularity. Mm. And that's another thing where I'd really like to stick my fingers in my ears and go la 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 because I love the show. But realistically, even its creator has said, yeah, I would do things differently if I wrote it even five years now with different ideas. And The thing is, to me, that doesn't mean stop enjoying it. It means no. acknowledge that this is something that we would change now. And also, like, it's very much a privileged thing to be yeah. able to do that cognitive dissonance because I am not seeing my lived experience. At the end of the day, I'm not the one who is going to suffer at the hands mm. of an institutionally racist police force. Yeah. So it's easier for me to have that cognitive dissonance and switch off from it because it's not. Yeah. Going and I mean, to this me doesn't. Directly. This doesn't talk about racism in any particular way in this no book. no um, we're specifically talking about bad police brutality about... in general yeah but yeah it's all. it is hard and like i said i think in later books it isn't terry pratchett does interrogate it and it's very mm. nuanced and in a particular yeah. book that deals with these characters there is an incredible amount of nuance that looks at what the police can and should be able to do and what they can't Mm. That and a lot of people are quoting that particular book on social media at the moment, saying, you know, this is how a policeman, a good policeman, reacts to a yeah. protest slash riot. Yeah, exactly. And basically, I think it's it's a heavy-handed spoof joke, and it's funny and it's jarring because it's quite so obvious a parallel right now. Um, yeah. And this is the thing, like, realistically... I, like, literally six months ago, and this isn't a good thing, but six months ago, I wouldn't yeah. have noticed it. But we are much more aware of it right now because it's so much in the news cycle. Mm -hmm. And longer term, we need to look at remaining aware of it even when it's not heavily in the news cycle. Yes. Yeah. That's a learning thing. But it is... It is anyway, very yeah. weird reading with the context of, of the current political state. Yeah. And it's the... Black Lives Matter thing and it's also the the populist focus on cutting away red tape and doing what needs to be done despite the bureaucracy um, yeah the whole which is going to lead to a no deal Brexit and probably a huge economic yeah. crash for the UK exactly it's great fun and it's uh, it's great fun when you're reading it from a protagonist point of view because yeah frankly who the fuck wants to read 10 pages on due process um, also <laughs> well in a later book, there will be like 10 pages on due process. Exactly. And it'll be very yeah. good. 
I mean, but the answer also, is us. We like reading 10 pages on due process, yeah. but you can see why this ended up this way. Yeah. Also, the red tape that is being cut through is bloody stupid because the red tape at this yeah. point is the the king. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Trusted advisor. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's a, literally the exchange that was the um, resisting arrest thing raised yeah. the red flag for me. And had it not been for those three sentences or whatever, I don't think I'd have flagged this at all, which is, you know, something I should keep well, learning myself. Yes, this is us learning and growing live on air. I mean, not live, recording this like three days before we go out. Watch us become slightly less shitty live this Saturday at eight. It's literally uh, just us reading something and going, huh. Yep. Not very but, interesting to watch. <laughs> anyway, yeah, so that was a nice cheerful note to uh, finish our talking points on. Say something nice. Isn't Sybil great? She is. Isn't she fucking amazing? Don't you just love Sybil? My my absolute favourite scene is uh, when she has the little interaction with the librarian. And I know I already talked about it, but I'm yeah. going to talk about it again. But it's her absolute confidence and calmness. Mm-hmm. Because, and this is what I mean about her being genuinely good as opposed to it just being a surface thing. Yeah. Is she makes the assumption that everyone else knows their business and knows that it makes perfect sense to swear in an orangutan who works at yeah. the university as a special con- constable. And that's why she, she doesn't not question it because she's trying to seem calm. She doesn't question it because she's assumed the best of Vimes and his team and assumed they know what they're doing. Is your obscure reference, Finial, de- depressing? <laughs> no, no, it's not depressing at all, actually. I think I know what your reference is to reading the notes, but I'll let you... Uh... Yeah, well, this is a bad joke, obscure reference, Finial. I, this uh, is one of my favourite jokes. Well, yeah, is it? Um, so Vimes drinking Hager's new brew new brew from a clean pot uh, page 200 says this is love in a canoe coffee if ever I tasted it and so Joanna what does weak coffee and making love in a canoe have in common it's fucking close to water yay (laughs) so clearly it's not that obscure reference finial but hopefully anyone who hasn't heard that terrible joke will now be able to impress their friends well i first heard it as a kevin bloody wilson joke of why is american beer like making love in a canoe because it's fucking close to water Ah. i promise never to try an australian accent on this podcast again i don't promise that Uh, next week we're doing uh page page three Next week, we're going all the way to page three, section three, which starts on 207. Yep, and takes us to the end of the book, funnily enough. Good, good. I thought that might make sense. It's true, I'm fucking starving. Thank you for listening to The Truth Shall Make Ye Fret. You can follow us on Instagram at The Truth Shall Make Ye Fret. You can tweet us at Make Ye Fret Pod. You can find us on Facebook at The Truth Shall Make Ye Fret. Please email us your thoughts, queries, albatrosses, castles, and snacks at The Truth Shall Make Ye Fret Pod at gmail.com. Please rate and review us wherever you get your podcast because it helps other people find us. And as we've said, we'd like to expand from paddling pool to shit canvas pool. And in the meantime, Dear listener, don't let me detain you. I'm just going to open this can. Cool, cool, cool. You know there's a mute button, right? Oh, fuck, yeah. 
Why do that when I can make more editing work for you? I don't have to. <laughs> I'll just leave it in. Fuck. That's fine. It makes it seem more real, <laughs> more down to earth. Yeah, not like the overly polished product we usually put out. <laughs>